to make an original contribution, you have to be irrationally obsessed. This is Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. And on this episode of the podcast, we have strength conditioning coach and elite powerlifter, Matt Domney. Today, Matt takes us down rabbit holes of skill acquisition and powerlifting, how to build a brand on social media, and why your training isn't preparing you to PR in a meet. Matt is a legendary dude, and I hope you get as much out of this as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. Um, I, I was telling them that the same thing. It's like I'm that—that's the challenge. Like I gave myself personally yeah. going on podcasts is that same thing. It's like because I really started to realize it's like we start to weaponize ourselves with like words we can say that we like you and I both know we can hit like after we've done a certain amount of podcasts, we know what we can say to get the host to like their bits or to get the host to be like, Oh yeah, this guy's smart or right. listeners be like to bry you in. And I'm like, I got to start just exploring on the fringe of what am I thinking in my head? So like I started just taking their questions and rolling with it and doing that the very same thing. And again, it is not nearly as pretty, but what you get out of that is so much deeper than absolutely what we were getting out of it before. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always a better conversation. And, and that, that's the biggest thing too, is like you can tell with a lot of them when they're very, very rehearsed and when they're very scripted podcasts and you can really tell when somebody's talking about something a little bit more off the cuff, it's a lot better. It's usually a lot more fun, more free flowing. There's interjections that are completely and totally off topic, which are great. And those are always one of the things that like, I've always found like as a, as a listener and a consumer of podcasts as well, that I've enjoyed significantly more because it shows you who the actual person is and it shows you that i'm not just like a coaching robot who sits here and goes like this input leads to this result and this input leads to this result but this one leads to back to this one result it's like <laughs> all of it becomes a little bit different becomes a little bit more unique and it just gives somebody a little more like personal touch and a more personal flavor which is i think good yeah and and that it's what i, I you're all right with if we just roll into the podcast we just start oh, yeah i don't care that's fine. awesome yeah. perfect then then we're gonna welcome to the podcast this yeah. is awesome i'm gonna keep cool. the first like four minutes in there too because that was awesome um <laughs> talking about the podcast but I, th I think that's something that people don't really realize and I, i'd like to get into everything that you're doing as well but absolutely like they, they don't really realize that like Everybody has a power lifting program. Everybody has a power building program. Everybody has a building better movers program on my end. Like everybody has a program there. Like 
and, and people struggle to sell. People struggle to create content because they're in the thought process of, I need to sell. I need to create content. And it's like, they're, they're not ever being themselves. Like you said, you know, like, so yeah. like, why should somebody go to you? Like everybody else that you and I, like we all have programs. Like that's not really what the person's going for. Obviously you don't want a shit program. You don't want crap, but you, you're not going to compete with those people anyways. Like you're not going to p- compete with people that have shit programs out there anyways. You, you've right. already knocked those people out. So how are you competing with people that also have the knowledge that you have? And it's in, it's kind of the paradox of like, you're not competing with them. You're just being yourself. Like you're just putting right. out the content that you want to put out and what you're thinking about in the moment and what you're thinking. Like the last couple of days, I've just been lifting and then putting out my post lift thoughts. And I'm like, wow, this is like, I just need to do this more. Cause it's just out of my head. It's, it's splurging. And there's so much better content there than when I sit and be like, Oh, I got to make a post today. I got, I got to go out and create content today. And it's like, that, it's just such an inauthentic way. And I feel like people, whether they know it or not, they, they feel that they feel that inauthenticity. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I'm really happy with um, with Meta for releasing threads for is because it's made it significantly easier to like catalog and channel like thoughts into one location. Um, kind of like you said about like post lift thoughts, like I'll have a lot like I'll have a bunch of like, like thoughts while I'm lifting. And I'll just put them out in a thread post. It's like I don't have to get a find a picture, edit a reel and create a video and then post this caption. I can just log on. Boom, done. There's 100 characters or less or 140 characters or less and be done and be done with it and have my thought out there and have it be complete enough to be able to at least start some form of a conversation with other people if people start to see it, right? So it's it's one of those things where like Twitter is phenomenal for that. Like that's a great platform and threads being basically like a ripoff of Twitter is going to be another platform that I think people will be able to use really, really easily to catalog um, and just create better, more authentic content. Mm. okay so you're the first guest i've had on since threads have dropped give me your thoughts on it like well like how are you using i mean it? it's what- literally the exact same thing as twitter and i always thought that like i i was too late for twitter okay uh, like i didn't start actually posting um and creating like fitness content until 2019 up until 2019 from 2012 onwards uh 2013 onwards sorry um, i've been an in-person personal trainer i worked at a bunch of high level uh like gym pop gyms and i worked with with people in person for the entire time. And there was absolutely no reason for me to have like a social media account. I didn't care. Like I was working with 40 and 50 year old people. I'm not finding my clients on Instagram. They don't, they don't care about me. Like I have one client who follows me on Instagram. And now like whenever he comes in uh, to a session in the morning, he references a post that I made like 10 or 12 or 15 posts ago. And it's like not even days ago. Cause I don't even post that frequently. He's like, I saw this post that you made. I was like, bro, I made that one in like February. And he's like, yeah, like I saw it. It was really good. Like, I really like this. It made a lot of sense to something that we're going through right now. He's like, I thought you were posting it about me. And then I looked at the date and remembered it was like, Oh no, we weren't even talking about this stuff back then. So it's like back when I was, when I was first coaching and Twitter first became a really big thing for, for strength coaches and for people like that to start like cataloging their thoughts. I was doing in-person stuff and I barely had like a Instagram with like 500 followers and I was private because I didn't really care. Um, So now that threads is out and like threads is becoming the, the, the new thing kind of begrudgingly for everybody who's already on Twitter, it's making it a little bit easier for people to, to do that and just have it easier to just connect from one platform to another. So I do think it'll be something that'll end, like end up being, or I do hope at least, um, I like it. So it's probably going to go away, but I do like, I do hope that at least we'll stay a little bit longer uh, just because now it's very, very easy to direct people from one app to another app. And it's, you barely even have to switch them. It's very, very simple. Hmm. 
so is, so would you say that the, the only reason that you're using threads instead of Twitter is just because threads is new? It's uh, brand new. Do. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. It's brand new. Yep. It's brand new. So instead of being able to like have to fight for every single thing that you're doing, because like, right, it's the same thing with, with looking for uh, trying to build up a following on Instagram right now. Like if you're, if, if you're trying to build an Instagram following now, it's going to be a lot harder and you have to fight through a lot more, uh, just like a lot, a lot larger pool of other creators to get every single follower. Like you have to earn followers a lot more unless you're like a really hot girl or like a really jacked and like really shredded dude or like a stupidly strong guy. Like if you post up like a 900 pound deadlift, you're going to get like a thousand followers every single reel that you post. Right. But unless you're like, if you're not one of those people, if you're like a normal person or like even like a, like a, like a good mid to high level athlete in any sport that you're going to be participating in, there's so many other people that are creating content on a daily basis and have so many other things that they're doing. It's going to be really saturated and really difficult for you to start to grow your like platform a little bit more. So moving to a different platform, like I get like 20 followers a day on threads from just mm. posting a couple like threads a day. It's great. I know I didn't bring you to be on the be the threads expert, but you know what happened like three days I ago? I am definitely not a threads expert. I have no idea what the fuck is going on with it. I'm just talking out of my ass and saying this is what I've been doing. <laughs> like three days ago, my so like they had the initial wave of everybody going on. And then three yeah. days ago, I, I haven't I've posted like two things. Three days ago, my phone would not stop going off. I got like 500 followers in like a day. Did more people get access to threads? What, what was I going on? Yes, I don't know. I think I think I think they got like sued because we have we have one of our people who works with us is in Europe, and I think they had some like big big uh, privacy suits um, or some like big privacy violations in Europe that they were trying to navigate around or something like that. And they may have gotten through it or not. I'm not quite sure. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Okay. So one of the things I want to take you back on, we're going to stay on this Absolutely. social media trend is you, you were talking about you were at the, the in-person training and you, yes. you're working with that. What eventually, because now you have a social media platform, what kind of drew you back into social media? And because I think that's something that we can definitely talk on. And it's a good experience. It's good to hear from you where you were talking about how you, you started off like it doesn't matter. and I didn't do it. Now I'm doing it. Um, Kind of that journey for a lot of coaches, because I, I get a lot of DMs of coaches asking about that kind of journey of I'm thinking about switching over or I feel like I need to do this. What was kind of your thought process or even for the coaches that are just the private and like they only work in person, kind of yeah. your perspective on on both ends and what made you switch and, and get into the social media world? So when that, that's a good question. So when I was in my old gym, um, I worked at a the same box gym uh, in different locations, but the same company in the same box, like gym umbrella company uh, from 2013 up to 2020 when I finally quit. Right. So I was there for the entire time. Uh, it was the first and only place that I worked as a, as like a, like a private uh, training coach, like a personal trainer. And I stayed there for the entire time. They were great. I really liked what they, what I was doing with them. Um, I ended up having some large differences with the managerial staff at my location that I ended up leaving. Um, they were not very, they were not very competent or very good at their jobs, which is why I left. Um, but one of the reasons why I was, I was interested in leaving and it was something I was looking at doing before I'd even started I, i'd even like considered leaving right i started like leveraging my social media a little bit more um, and the reason i started doing that was because i moved to to texas right and my gym chain had one location in my area so because they had one location in my area there was never any continuing education that came down to my to my location right or nothing that ever came nearby to me right so i remember going and sitting down and like talking with my my manager at the time and saying hey like i'm bored i want to go like learn something and like get a find a new like certification to do and she and she looked at me and she goes well you can take pre and postnatal and i was like i've taken that four times 
She's like, well, you can take the Viper certification. I was like, I've never touched a Viper and I don't think I'm ever going to touch one. I don't want to do it. And she's like, you could take kettlebell. And I was like, I have kettlebell level two and I've done kettlebell level two three times with the same instructor. Like he's brought, he brings me up to help teach the classes when he comes down. I don't want to, I'm not taking these ones again. And she's like, well, I mean, there's nothing else that you can really do. So at that point I was like, okay, cool. Well, there's nothing in person for me here anymore. And also all like the actual continuing education, like, like Pat Davidson, um, like when human matrix was a big thing, like those ones, uh, N one and all of those other big continuing education things, they never come to Houston. They go to Austin or Dallas. Right. So they never come near me. So I'd always have to go far to be able to get them. And as like an in-person coach, you can't do that. They can't really leave you. you Every time you leave, like, well, cool. I mean, have fun just not making money this weekend and, you know, spending a lot on the way out. So you get fucked on both ends because you lost money here because you didn't earn anything. And then you lost money by spending all this. So great job. Now you got to do double the work to get back. Um, So because of all that, I started like trying to leverage my social media a little bit more and like just make more connections with other people in the field who were like educators. Like I'd been following Pat Davidson for a while at that point. Uh, Kyle, my business partner, Kyle Dobbs, had been following him for a little while at that point. And then I eventually hired him to uh, mentor me just for continuing education and not for any business building related practices or anything like that at all. I just wanted to learn more about training and just develop my skill set a little bit more. Cause like I said, again, I was very, very stagnant um, before I found them and I started like talking to these people. Um, So I did that for a little while. And then, I started getting really frustrated with um, what was going on at my, at my workplace, number one. And number two, we hired a 50 year old personal trainer. Um, so he's a 50 year old father of two. And I looked at him and I was like, man, this dude's still waking up at like three 45 in the morning to get mm. to the gym for a 5. AM client. He's got three kids. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Like I don't want to be, be doing any of that stuff. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, he worked from five in the morning to like one or 2 PM. So he had the rest of the afternoon and everything to just like spend with his family and his kids. But it's like, that sucks, dude. I don't want to, I don't want to be waking up at three forty-five for the rest of my life. So at that point, that was kind of when I made the decision that it's time for me to start looking at a way to branch out um, and figure out something else that I can do uh, to supplement my income from personal training. And then at a certain point, like very, very quickly that eclipsed, um, the money that I was making in person. Right. So I think by within eight months of starting the remote, the, the remote stuff that I was doing when being hired by Kyle and working with compound performance, I started to eclipse what I was doing in person. And at that point it was like, okay, cool. I'm going to stay here for a little bit longer bank uh, income from as much of this as I possibly can. Um, and then COVID happened, shut the world down. My gym closed. I quit. Hmm. Yeah, that, that that seems like kind of a, a pretty clean stopgap there because I was perfect. I, yeah, I had a very similar, very similar thing. I, I was seeing I, I really thought I was going to be this big time division one college strength coach. Like that was my yeah. whole thought process. And I kept talking to these division one strength coaches and they kept telling me, do not fucking do this. Like, <laughs> do not do this. Like they kept nobody retires doing this. Everybody like you, you don't want to wake up like you said at 5 a.m. every single morning. Like, oh, dude, being a D1 strength coach, you're going to have to be doing that on a Sunday morning. With those two kids, you know, like yeah. and you're taking your family. Yeah, man, it, it's just not not the set. If you if you're in the one percent of the one percent, making a couple mil for a couple years, but it's like the more I more I kept going into the business route and, and just seeing the gap too. I think that's a big thing. Like you and I were talking about, like being ourselves. I was looking at the content gap and just seeing the like, man, there's like there's like four personalities in the entire yeah. strength conditioning world. Like there's 14 million strength conditioning coaches and four personalities. You know, like that nobody's actually 
interesting or, or wanted, you know, it's, it's such like, it seems like, it seemed like such a barren market to be able to just go and be like, oh, you can talk about other things other than, I, I think I saw a post that you, that you were saying too. It, it was on your memes. I think it was one of the first things I've seen that you, that you posted actually. And it was, um, it's like a coach trying to take their 37th like educational like course on like prenatal or whatever it was. Yeah. And then it's like, or studying anything outside of the field and just becoming a more interesting person. Right. And it's like, I was, I was just looking at this field. I'm like, man, this is making me almost want to off myself. Like it was driving me insane. It's like the same content. I just made a post on it yesterday. It's like, it's the same content over and over and over. And people talk about how the field's oversaturated and they, there's a lot of bodies there. But the competition level is so low because like there's not a lot of interest there. There's not a lot of like just I don't even know personality there. I don't know a better word for that. And it, it's it kind of sucks, too, because if you look at the way that it, we're in a really interesting time with the way that social media seems to be trending with um, continuing education, because it's become an education platform. Therefore, it is now not cool or not something you want to do to really show off your personality if you want to be able to gain a lot more followers right mm -hmm. so if you want to be able to gain a lot more followers you got to talk to other coaches and now you just got to like posit yourself as an expert in whatever field that you're making and whatever field that you're in even if you're not like even if you've never like actually participated in the thing that you're doing before you have to come off as a as some sort of, sort of an expert now so you can continuously build that like social clout and that level of following that people are going to be like oh this guy's smart he knows what he's talking about but at the same time it's one of those things where i've always noticed that like when i when i go into like a meat prep and i start posting mostly lifts cuz i'm tired and i don't want to i don't want to talk about shit anymore I get more clients than I get whenever I'm posting more informational content. My following stays extremely stagnant, but my income goes up. And then when I start posting more informational content, my income stays completely stagnant. My following goes up. So it's like they're completely and totally not correlated at all. And the more you start to show who you are, I think the more you can utilize what you've already built on social media to get more out of it, as opposed to just like consistently trying to talk to the same people over and over again. Like, this is one of the biggest pet peeves that we all have um, in in th that I have at least for sure um, is when like I make a post on something and somebody will just jump in and make a comment that's basically either rephrasing my exact post or refuting it in a comment. And it's like, bro, just go make your own. I don't, I don't care. Or like, like reading it and like not understanding, like completely skipping the caption, taking it completely out of context and just making an argument. It's like none of this stuff is, is important and none of this stuff is relevant and also doesn't help to, further anybody's understanding of the topics that we're talking about now you're just saying words to say words to disagree and if you really disagree that much go make your own post and like just do something with it on your own and don't just like do it on mine it's also the short like angus bradley really had me like really made this click in my head when he was talking about it a couple months back maybe it was even on our podcast but he was just mm -hmm. talking about like it is the shortest form of content ever. You're not going to have every nuance in there. Like in yep. every single post, that's it's another impossible. thing. It's like, it's impossible. And you, you'll post this stuff. And like you said, people like one, the, the one side of it where they do like, so you mean, and then just copy and paste. Yes. <laughs> you know, like you knew. Like exactly. You're looking, that's like the praise kink. You're just looking yeah. for it. Good. Good job, dude. Um, But the, the, the refuting or like, that's not this, that's not that. And even I've even had conversations with like close people that I have. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's an Instagram post, man. It's like, and then I think just being comfortable, I think was a big thing accepting it. Cause I started to get nervous, like, especially as the following goes up, that was something that I started to get like almost more anxious with. It was stupid. It was such a stupid yeah. feeling. It was like, before I felt super calm of just like, I'm just posting, like, I'm just posting. It's a game. It's on social media. I'm just putting out like literally my thought processes I'm having in this moment and my words that are coming in this moment, I'm posting, working through it and doing it. 
Um, and if, we, if there's going to be an actual rebuttal or an actual refutal, I'll have the conversation, but it, it was comfortable with that. And then it started like the bigger following. I started to think about that more and think about that more. I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, absolutely it, silly, dude. It's so dumb. It's, it's, it's one of the craziest things. Cause like cloud cloud is one hell of a drug. Right. And even if you know, and you're aware of it and how like social clout is going to impact your mentality or anything like that regarding what your, your own content and your own content creation, it, almost always makes people start to second guess themselves a little bit because at that point you start looking at it and going, I have this many people. I almost have like a responsibility to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I don't fucking care. I don't have a responsibility to do anything. It's, it's my fucking page. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's uh, exactly what I was trying to get to. That's actually good to hear from you because that's something. And then the um, I always carry around the, the Banksy um photograph of him with the, the blue and i don't know if you know the story but it was basically no. you, you said he would never sell his art and then they're auctioning off a piece of his art and then he shredded it there's somebody bid like two million dollars or something like that and in the middle of the auction he shredded it he pressed the button and it shredded the whole thing two million dollars awesome. um but i carry around this on all of my like screensavers and everything is that picture to like remind yourself to not corrupt your art because I, I yeah like i said like i was just i was getting to that point where i was i was corrupting my art to be like Oh, I need to do this. Or like I had, like you said, I think it was bigger for me. It wasn't even putting out content for other people. It was bigger for me. Like I have the responsibility to do this. It's like, and then it just, God, I was just second guessing everything. Or like the, the, the natural piece of content creation, just putting out my thoughts went away. And I started to feel like I had to make something. And when I was thinking, I, I actually, um, I think it was Ice Cube on Joe Rogan's podcast talked about this. It's like, when you try to make a hit, you will never make a hit. It's like, yeah. just try to make amazing art in front of you that you enjoy making. And then if it becomes a hit, if the universe takes it from there and it becomes a hit, that's when it's set. But if you try to make a hit, that's where you come up with like the fucking creatine posts that you see fucking like everybody's just trying to make the hit. They're trying to yep. do the thing that they've seen work before, but you're always behind in that. And it's not your content anymore. It's not your art anymore. And people are not appreciating that anymore. Right. Um, and I think getting back to that for me has been a big piece and just putting out like what I feel comfortable or what I'm not comfortable, but what I feel right now is, is interesting to me or, yeah. or it drives me. It has been huge. Right. And like, that's, it's exa exactly what you were talking about. Like the creatine post, the, the safe thing that everybody else seems to be doing. Like the best example, the, the most annoying example that I see. And like one of the best examples of this that I see consistently is those unpopular opinion posts. Somebody will go unpopular opinion so, and then the next statement is something that literally everybody talks about or believes. And it's like, no, that's not an unpopular opinion. You're just doing that so you can get a whole bunch of other people patting you on the back and saying, oh, you're so brave for saying this. This is great. It's like, yeah, we should totally be talking about this. And the post is like unpopular opinion. All humans should be sleeping about eight hours a night. And it's like, no fucking shit, Sherlock. God damn, this is mind blowing information. Wow. <laughs> What what a post? What a revelation, bro. That's uh, Jake and I. Jake, Will, and I have a group chat where it's literally just sending <laughs> sending those posts in the group chat, just talking about them because it's and and the thing is something like creatine. So let's or even sleep. You know, like originally that was a game changing idea. One hundred percent. I rem I, I'm old enough to remember when everybody was sitting there going like creatine is a steroid. You it's shouldn't a steroid. Be taking it. Yes. My mom freaked out the first time I was like 16 and I bought a, a tub of creatine. I got to hide it in my room because she thought it was in like a legit performance enhancing drug. Yeah, I, I got brought to my um, my high school's um, athletic director because they, they found creatine in my locker. 
and yeah. like they, I had to talk to him and tell him like, hey, it's not so. But I think that's the funny thing is that it used to be that it used to be what people think, but people are so like, it, it's it's not rebelling anymore. It's it's the exact opposite of rebelling now because so yeah. many people have said it. And it's, I mean, it's the same. Like I always talk about this. The biggest thing that drives me insane. I, I don't know how much you're on Twitter, but Twitter is just a cesspool of whoever. Like they'll post whatever they think Mike Boyle will retweet. It's like un, 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 I came to this conclusion all by myself. Uh, we don't back squat anymore. It's like bullshit, bro. Like it's like 85 coaches within the same three-year period now don't back squat. And you guys right. all came to that conclusion by yourself. No, that is you not guys are what all happened. Doing goblet reverse lunges with chains around your neck. Like you saw Mike Boyle do four years ago. Cool. <laughs> yeah, sweet. <laughs> but it's just not what happened. You never, you, and, and I think that's the biggest thing. And that's not, again, that is not to say throw out that information. That doesn't mean like creatine is now bad for you, but it's like right. the information has been said 14 million times now and now you can the pioneers have done the pioneers in quotations have done that work for you now go take their work and, and try to find something else that you can pioneer you can explore right. and not to rebel to rebel or, or just come up with new bullshit but it's like it, it's already out there you're not rebel because i think we we sit under this like it's almost this guise of like I am rebelling. I am on the front edge. I am. It's like, so it's like the twofold thing of we're not there. And then we get the pat on the back from ourselves. And we're also just putting out con the, the fucking content where they just put out like they, they will, they will put out content in the same exact, exact language as whoever their coaching tree is. Yeah. And like, pretend like it's like their words and then just begging for a retweet. It's like, that is never going to work. That is oh God, gonna dude. Work. It's one of the, it's, so as, as like a powerlifting coach and as a power lifter, right? This is one of those things that I've, I've, I've looked at and I've spoken out with a bunch of my, my other friends who are powerlifting coaches for a while is there's like three powerlifting coaches that are actually that exist and everybody else just copies and pastes what those three people create and just like switches it a little bit and creates something slightly new for their, for their client or like just reiterates it a little bit. And it's exactly like you're saying about what they, what they say too, is like, they just say everything that they possibly can to like, hopefully that one person, that person that I pay to coach me already uh, is maybe going to just like, and maybe repost the thing that I'm doing. Well, and, and that, that's a thing too, that you were talking about earlier. It's like the, the content, like uh, Twitter is really bad too, because I've grown Twitter. You, If you put up media on Twitter, this is just a little hack for people. I know I've mentioned on the podcast, but if you put up videos on Twitter right now, that stuff goes stupid. Like I don't, I, every single video or media piece of content I put on on Twitter gets a minimum of 10K views. No matter, doesn't matter how stupid it is. It's like, yeah. it's like super unsaturated in the video department there. So that part's kind of crazy. But the, um, the video aspect there, I'm trying to remember where I was going with this now. I'm totally blanking. What was I talking about right before this? Uh, we we're talking about like somebody stealing content or like doing anything. Oh, like yes, that. yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And But you're talking about the like we're putting out content for other coaches. And yeah. like if you're selling an educational platform, OK, then you sell to those coaches. But what I feel like a lot of coaches miss out on is like your content you're putting out is for other coaches who aren't going to buy your program. Yeah. You know, you know, like you need to put out content and you need to meet your clients where they're at or put out content for your actual clients. And that's where you're saying you're putting out you grinding you, you in the weeds. Like that's what an athlete wants. They're like, fuck. Right. Yeah. That is all. And that is not to say athletes never want educational piece. It's just, I, I feel like so many coaches are like in the, in that realm of I'm, I'm creating content for other coaches. But like you said, either that other coach is not going to buy your program or even worse, you have paid that other coach already, you know, like, right, so it's exactly. like, now you're putting out content for people that you're paying. And that's not the point of social media, the social, but the point of social media is that get the clients to come to you and right. be able to build that out. And I, I think a lot of coaches miss out on that piece is 
that is a big piece of why when you are in the trenches yourself or you're putting out content that's just a little bit more applicable to athletes that are also in the trenches themselves and not for other coaches then they come to your you to your um to your product that you're selling right absolutely and that's the biggest thing you want to be able to do is figure out a way that you can direct people off of instagram and off of twitter to something that's going to put money into your pocket and if you can't figure out a funnel or a mechanism to do that what's the point of having that many people on your page why do you need that is that just for your own validation is that just so you can wake up in the morning like alone in your little one bedroom apartment and look at your phone and go oh man i know my life really sucks but i got forty thousand people who like what i say on instagram that's great <laughs> yeah not not the end goal there so yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll take you out of that. I know I just kind of bombarded you with social media stuff. That was oh, good. I, I, like, I like that. That was nice. Um, what got you into powerlifting? Why, why are you a powerlifter? I, I I love your memes that you have about it, like this super niche, like um, <laughs> sport that like people spend their whole lives to. Yeah. Um, but I try. I train a lot of a lot of powerlifters. They and they're all super interesting. But it's almost like they they have to have this obsessive, like just almost like grabby mindset. Like how, how did you Definitely. get into powerlifting? So um, when I was 20, uh, when I was in college, I was 20 on my 21st birthday, I was a little bit of a wild man. Um, and I ended up getting mono uh, like around my 21st birthday. Right. So I was sick for like six months um, at college, you know, everybody has a good time. Uh, but I ended up going from like 200 pounds body weight uh, before I was like 210 before I got mono. Um, I ended up dropping to 168 pounds and I'm six, three. So like, I'm a tall, I'm a tall dude. Right. So I was 168 pounds. Um, and I remember, uh, when I got better, I remember going to pick up a box in my parents' house. Cause I, I ended up having to like drop out of the semester of school and go home. So I went home and I, I was just like, help my parents around the house after I started feeling a little bit better. Um, I picked up a, like a, a box of papers, Right. And it was really, 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 really heavy at the time because I was 168 pounds. I'd lost like 50, 50 ish pounds. Um, and I almost passed out because of how like weak I was. And it was really hard. And it was like very embarrassing. And from that point, like previously to that, um, I've been training in martial arts since the time I was four. Right. So I've been, I'd already had 16 years of experience there. I'd done a bunch of like professional kickbox or amateur level kickboxing fights and like actually fought. Um, on the like in the in the cage and like had done some stuff or not on the cage but in a on a platform um i'd fought a bunch of times before that as well so it's like i was very capable i was a very capable person i was in really good shape i didn't really lift but i did a lot of like body weight training and a lot of i trained martial arts like four to five hours a day pretty much every single day so i was in really good shape and i lost all of it right so that point i lost all of it and i remember sitting there going i will never allow myself to be this week again <laughs> Right. And like at that point, I was like, okay, cool. What's the easiest and most progressible and measurable thing for me to be able to do? Start getting stronger in the gym. Right. Like if you dumbbell bench the 20s for a set of 10 on one week, you dumbbell bench the 40s for a, a set of 10 on week six, you've gotten stronger. You can measure it. There's a quantitatable thing that you can look at to see, okay, cool. I have improved. Um, so I started like reading and researching a little bit about powerlifting. I got into the strength and conditioning um, into in my school. Um, and then I started really like working on like focusing on lifting. And I remember after I kind of came back from being uh, being sick and getting into the strength and conditioning class, we really started squat benching, squat bench and deadlift. And I really, really liked deadlifting. I think my first day deadlifting, I pulled 315 uh, or like 220, like 275 or something like that. Like I had a really good deadlift for my first day. I benched 90 pounds. It was horrible. Uh, it was terrible, but I think I squatted 135, benched like 90 and pulled like 275 to 315 or something like that on my first day. Um, and I really liked, I really liked that. And I was like, okay, cool. So I looked more into that 
style training, found Jim Wendler's 531, started doing that, uh, then found Juggernaut, then started doing that, then did the initial Brandon Lilly Cube method, started doing that, um, then started thinking about competing in about 2016, uh, was in a pretty bad relationship at the time who with somebody who didn't want me to do things that were like things that I wanted to do. Cause it would take time away from the relationship that we were in. Um, so then when I kicked her out, I started competing in 2019 and have been competing at least trying to try to do at least twice a year since then, once or twice a year since then, um, uh, looking like my next one's going to be, I was going to do one in July this year, but then I broke a couple bones of my wrist in uh, jiu-jitsu classes. Um, so now it's looking like December is going to be my next one. Mm. Yeah. Nice. And so I got, I got a couple of things that I want to take out there. Yeah, you, you were talking about your, your, your coaching tree and your coaching background. And one of the things that you mentioned was like, there's, there's three powerlifting coaches in the like, yeah. world that everybody kind of steals off of. One of the things that I've noticed with powerlifting coaches and we'll, we'll like a little fringe here. So I would, we're going to explore here, but one of the things I've noticed with powerlifting coaches and just powerlifting athletes in general, again, you need to be very analytical. You need yeah. to be very like long-term based and linear based. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's a very quantitative sport. Um, whereas if you have a, a different, like more, let's say even jujitsu or, or something along the lines of like a team sport, you can, it's almost a little bit more artistic. Like there, there's way more options. There's way there's way more ways to be better at the sport. You could be yeah. a fast guy. You could be a shifty guy. You could be a tall guy. You could be a short guy. There's so many different ways to go about it. Um, and that there's a little bit more art in that way. Whereas powerlifting is very quantitative. Do you feel like that is a reason why the sport has stayed so condensed? And obviously there's, there's less variables as well. So it's going to be condensed regardless. But do you feel like that's why like the people that are attracted to the sport are automatically very similar not automatically but pretty similar in the quantitative analytical realm and there's not a lot of creative juices flowing in like what, what are your thought processes there i definitely think so and that's that's one of the hardest things about um or one of the one of the, the interesting things about powerlifting coaching is it does require an extremely analytical person to be able to figure out what's working how to like like analyze the data that you're seeing in front of your client or from or like getting back from your client and figuring out how to like optimally progress that person from beginning to the very end right most things will work however getting them to work in a way that's going to be effective at a certain time period within like a time bound constraint is very different and it's a little bit more challenging so i do think that that's something that um has kept it a little bit more condensed on purpose is that powerlifting coaches have to uh be able to understand a little bit more about like data and a, a little bit more about like how individual things are going to impact a lifter uh, than people who are in other sports. I know that's going to be one that people like don't like hearing me say at all, but it's like, I mean, bodybuilding training is fairly simple. You just lift weights and you get, and you like, you eat a lot or you don't eat that much and you do some cardio, right? There, it, you can do them pretty well. Like if you're, if you've got like lagging body parts, there's different things that you can do. If you're looking at other like sports, like if you're looking at basketball, like look at LeBron squat, he's the best athlete ever. He's got a, a terrible strength and conditioning program. Like half of these people have like nothing. They don't, they don't know what the hell they're doing at all, but they don't need it. Right. So the, 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 the requirement of that strength and conditioning coach to be a very high level person, very analytical, very data oriented, very detail oriented with that probably care marries matters a little bit less for a lot of those people, like a lot of those exceptional athletes than it does for the people in the middle, right? So like yourself or somebody like that, you have to be more data and like data oriented and figure out a little bit more because you're not working with like LeBron James or like Rafael Nadal or like Serena Williams, or like the, the literal top echelon of athletes, right? So when, when you're working with people who are 
in that really good middle zone, you're going to have to be significantly more, but uh, significantly more data oriented and figure out how to like analyze trends and figure out how to make people better. But in powerlifting, that's all it is. All we have to do is figure out how to analyze data and use utilize all that stuff. So we have to be really, really detail oriented to figure out exactly how to get people where they want to be able to go. How how do you as a coach uh, keep that like? How do you keep burnout from happening? Then, it, it, or have you always been data? Like, does data get you going? And is I like, it like numbers. A, it does. Okay, that's like what numbers. I was wondering. Yeah. yeah, I've always liked numbers. I've always been interested in in that kind of stuff. Um, the it it gets. Burnout is definitely a thing that happens frequently. And that's one of the, re- with, with me too. Like I've, I've dealt with it. I've, I've gone through it. I've gone through periods of time where I've looked back on programs that I've made like a block or two ago for a client. I'd be like, what the fuck was I thinking with this one? Like, this is like, this was, that was a throwaway block, obviously, like looking back at what it was. If you're an athlete of mine and you're listening to that, I promise you that was never your program. Your programs have always been immaculate and perfect and highly, highly, highly thought of, uh, thought about. Um, those are, those are athletes that I had years ago. Um, but like looking at that, that's one of those things that definitely does happen. And I think that's one of the areas where uh, powerlifting also does kind of excel um, is that you get a lot more feedback from your clients. Like I get information from every single, I got like 25 messages on my WhatsApp right now that I'm going to be like during this podcast, I'm going to be clearing out afterwards. Right. So my, my clients talk to me about everything all the time, every single session. So I get a little bit more feedback and I get more direct feedback from them immediately. Whereas when I did train athletes, like I have, I train uh, like a, like a guy who's going to be going into the UFC soon. Right. He's a, he's an athlete of mine. He will text me once a week and be like, everything was good this week. And that's it. That's Every all time. I get. All I get, perfect. I get. Yeah. Every, I get nothing else. I'm like, how, like, how is your nutrition? How is your sleep? He's like, fine, fine. And then like, I'll see him out and he's like, haven't eaten since 4am yesterday morning. And it's like 11pm the following night. I'm like, bro, you haven't eaten in two in like 36 hours. What the fuck is wrong with you? And he's like, ah, it's just been a long day. I had like five or six training sessions. I'm like, hey, you trained for six hours and you didn't eat at all. What is wrong? With you? And I, it, like, I get the feedback that everything's okay. Right. So looking at that, I do find that it, the, the clients that I have prevent me from being burnt out a little bit more because they're more communicative, because they're more um, data oriented, because they're more analytical, because they're concerned about that goal. Right. Whereas like, this is all they care about as a pa- compared to like my fighting clients or my other clients who that's a portion of it. But that's never the actual goal itself, right? So priority there is shifted a lot lower. So I'm usually the last person to hear about things. Yeah. As opposed to like my powerlifting clients, where I'm the first person that they tell about things. Like I have a dude, he like he stubs his toe and he'll like message me like, hey, stub my toe, moving my deadlifts to following like like this day. Can't really get any toe pressure or anything like that. I'm like, cool, thanks for letting me know. I appreciate that. Now I will keep that in mind for when we're doing the following week of programs. If I do see a little bit of a down week, it doesn't necessarily mean we need to regress or deload or do anything like that. We can just keep going. My fighter, dude, he literally tore his ACL, tore it. And then told me about it a week after he tore his ACL. I was like, bro, you were going through like a strength. Like we were doing heavy squats and deadlifts this block because we were like eight weeks out of a fight. So we were doing like your heaviest block of training before we did some like velocity and potentiation work to get you into the fight. And now like two weeks after you tore your ACL, you tell me about it. Like, bro, what are you doing? Bro, the athletes are bad as it is, but combat sport athletes are the worst. Oh my God. God, the worst. I, yeah. I, did, I mean, I had the same same exact thing. The guy came to me because he had torn his ACL already six times, and he came in. He's like, 
Yeah, he's like, he texts me. He's like, yeah, I think my knee's bugging me a little bit. So we'll see how the session goes today. I get there, and his knee is like exploded. Like yeah. it is triple the size. I'm like, dude, like, what'd you do? He's like, well, I, it feels like I tore it again, but uh, we'll we'll just see how. I'm like, <laughs> like that's not just a little like tweak. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like something's going on here so i used to be one of those guys so i did that in 2013 um i got into a bad position in a jiu-jitsu class and my my foot got caught in somebody else's uniform and as i went to like do it like a knee cut pass um it tore it torqued really bad and i tore my acl my mcl my lcl my medial my lateral meniscus at the same time none of them were operatable tears like they were all smaller like more parent kind of tears so none of them were complete tears which is very fortunate the medial and lateral meniscus were tears that needed that potentially needed surgery but my doctor told me don't get surgery you'll be fine um but that was at like 11 a.m i trained till 7 p.m that day and it was just like my knee, I was like, my knee hurts. It just feels kind of weird. I can't do certain positions. I can't really bend it that much. I'll just work on these things because we're all stupid. And everybody who does a combat sport and gets punched in the head for a living, none of us are really able to think about things. And our whole metric of being like good at what we can do is taking a shit ton of punishment and getting the like the shit kicked out of us for money. So like none of us really think about that stuff. So your dude who's talking about his ACL being shredded, he's like, yeah, I mean, I've had worse. Like I had a dude elbow me in the fucking head in a fight one time and i'm gonna i kept going so like this is probably gonna be okay that's exact i mean that was word for word what he told me too it's like i've, I've had worse like uh, yeah. i've torn it worse before <laughs> yeah. like bro what are we talking about here yeah dude, i'm just gonna like make that my trail leg when i'm wrestling so i don't have to post off of it or anything like that that's, like, what, bro, I mean, that's what he was he, that's what he was saying too he was he was like I think it was um, Greco or something like that, but there was something along the lines of where he wasn't going to be taken down. And he was going to be thrown. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we'll be able to make this work. <laughs> so yeah. He was preparing for the uh, the Olympic trials at the time too. I was like, oh my God, bro. Like this, you're a different beast of a human. Like, yeah. and like built thing, different. They just, all they do is they just take punishment all day, every single day. So like, okay, like, a little bit more is not going to be that big of a deal. Like I'm going to be okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was with, with your population, do you feel for online coaches that are there? Because I know that's one of the biggest frustration pieces of coaches like not getting clients to check in, mm -hmm. regardless of athlete or powerlifter. Do you feel like it is a powerlifting thing where they've checked in? Because notoriously, powerlifters for me have been the same exact way. They check in all day, every day, all the time. Like they're the easiest people to check in with. Yep. A little bit pain in the ass because like you said, they'll, they'll check in with like, hey, like uh, – uh, I woke up two minutes late today. Like I, I, my whole schedule's ruined. <laughs> I was yep. like, bro, it's okay. Like little deep breath here. We're good. But, yep. or, but have you, you've obviously worked with more power lifters than I've worked with. Most of my clientele is athletes. Have you found a way to uh, build up that community where they are checking in? Or do you feel like it has just been natural because it is power lifters or, cause I, I know again, like a lot of people struggle with like not getting their clients to check in. Have, how have you gone about the process of making sure they do check in and they do understand the importance of that? So my powerlifters are much, 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 much easier than any of my gen pop clients or my athletes every single time. And again, it comes it comes down to prioritization for all of these people, right? Like athletes, in my opinion, are easier but worse clients than powerlifters are. Powerlifters are more difficult but also easier, mm -hmm. right? So if we're looking at what I'm talking about with this, like how, my powerlifting clients require a lot more time. So they're a lot more time consuming for me because I have more check-ins with them. I communicate with most of them on a daily basis. Like I have 30 DM, 40 DM conversations going on at any given moment, 10, 20 on WhatsApp, 
all of my clients talk to me all the time. So they'll, if they check in, I get more detail. If they don't check in, they probably don't really need it because we've gone through 50 things throughout the week already. They've given me a recap of every single training session and everything like that. So they're a lot more time intensive in that respect. But for me to program for them is really easy because I know, like you talked about, hey, I woke up two minutes late today. I know everything that happened that week immediately. So for me to make like logical and sound programming decisions for them in the following week, the following block, the following mesocycle, really, really, really easy because they tell me everything. There's no, there's no hiding anything there, right? My athletes are on the opposite ends of the spectrum where they're easy, but difficult, right? They're easy because they're not, they don't require much time throughout the week, but they're much harder, especially if they're remote to progress and coach and train because I don't get any feedback. So I'm flying blind most of the time with my athletes. And I've tried to get them to check in and I've tried to give them, I like, we built like a reminder system in our app to like be like, Hey, fucking check in like it's going to send you emails until you fill this out and they just don't do it right like they just don't they just don't do it because like again if we're looking at these people they also do other things right like my like a couple of my guys are fighters they're also they also work full-time so like they're not checking in they're not doing any of that stuff they have a job and they're training four hours a day so like if my and they lift two to three times a week right so they don't care about it as much because it's not as big of a priority for them it's something that they're going to go eh, it's fine like i'm just going to keep going so with me being a bit more of an analytical person and trying to like give them the best um, experience and the best programming that I can possibly give them. It's very frustrating because like they just don't communicate very often, but at the same time, everything that I've made them do so far in the last seven, eight, 10 blocks, they're happy doing hmm. and they're getting better at what they're doing. And they like, every time I talk to them, they say it's all good because those are also the people that I have who will tell me that things are not good. Right. Like they'll, they might not tell me immediately, but they will tell me eventually that things have not been going as well as they hoped for. Right. So I kind of operate under the assumption with them that no news is good news. Um, and it's been a little bit more difficult for me to do so, but I also have to get, I also have to get more comfortable with doing more outreach to those people as mm. opposed to having my clients do outreach to me. So now I message them more frequently to talk about how their training is going and how everything is going. Cause if I message them, they will respond. But they're not going to take the impetus on their own to come to me, which is just a, like an interesting thing to, to always figure out, right? Like those people, I look at athletes and people like this, those people I treat like gen pop clients with specific goals, right? So I treat them the exact same because if we look at a general population client, lifting is not their priority. They don't care about it. It's something that either makes that makes them better at the, that makes their life better. Right. So it's something that they do as a way to enhance other facets of things that they like to do. Right. So they, they like to have a little bit more energy. They like to look a little bit better in their clothes. They like to feel a little bit better. They like to have more uh, like stamina when they're going to play with their kids or doing whatever else it is that they want to do. Right. They want to like feel a little stronger doing something athletes are the same exact thing, right? They are looking at their lifting is a means to an end for them. They don't really give a shit about what they're doing in the gym. Like, unless you got an athlete that really, really cares about it, then it's like, Oh, cool. We got a future power lifter there. Cause he's about a quick sports, about to quit football and go do this instead. Right. So like looking at those people, they care so much less about what they're actually doing in the gym that I have to treat them like a general population client where I reach out to them more often and start the communication more with them and take on more of a leadership role as opposed to a collaborative role like I do with my other lifters. 
And and I feel like a big thing too is a lot of those athletes, they have like three to four coaches they're checking yeah. into too, especially combat sport athletes. I mean, they can have three or four combat nutrition, striking, athletes. grappling, uh, wrestling, strength and conditioning coach. They got five, six people. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that part's cracked. And uh, cause I know the, I, I work with a couple of cyclists where it's the same thing. It's like, they, mm-hmm. they have like, they check in with me. And as soon as they're checking with me is done, they check in with like their team coach and then they check in with their specific like coach. And I'm like, damn, like you're spending four hours a day checking in with coaches, like just rolling through like that. Like I can see why. Yeah. And, and they're, they're pretty analytical. They're, cyclists are pretty a lot like powerlifters where it's like it's very a numbers driven like oh yeah one point like very very small percentage points matter so you're checking in all the time but oh yeah um i I thought that was very interesting yeah because it's a big difference with any kind of other sport like if you're looking at basketball there's always going to be like you can do everything you can do as an athlete but somebody on your team can completely and totally fuck up and lose the game for you and it's like you did everything right, so like it's a lot more qual- it's a, a lot more qualitative with everything else there as opposed to something that's quantitative and measurable like a cyclist is. Same thing with like mixed martial arts, right? You can do everything right, have the best possible camp, and Jose Aldo can come out and flying knee you and knock you out in ten seconds. So it's okay, fight's over. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little uh, little different setup. Whereas yeah. uh, powerlifting, like that bar, that bar is going to be there regardless of. Yep. Uh, regardless of what you're doing yep. um so that, that, that's something that i i'm always interested in uh and i haven't had a ton of powerlifters that are actual like it's some guys that like lift but not like get after it like you do how do you personally keep the sport like i'm always interested in, like how do you keep the sport from like burning out for yourself like like what what is that that, that keeps you going because I, I find it with myself like if i don't have a if I don't have a goal for my lifting, like if, if there's not something driving it, I burn out very quickly with mm-hmm. the barbell, like it, cause it, it's so repetitive for me or I'll have to go like very, like full on, full on conjugate. Like I'll have to yeah. switch up my main lifts all the time for my, for my brain to work around that and be able to grab on. How are you like psychologically keeping that, that you're yourself sane when it is such a, like, I have three lifts that I need to master that are not like They're not going away. It's not going to be like, learn a new juke move or a new yeah. spin move or whatever, you know, it's like the, the, it's these three for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, every time I've been at a bar, nobody's ever asked me what my vertical jump is. They always ask me how much I can bench. Um, so number one, it's just like being stronger than everybody else is great. Right. So that's like, it was a great feeling. Uh, all jokes aside, but like, like it's, it's, what I what I really do like about that, like obviously that was a that was a joke, but like obviously what I really do like about powerlifting is that there is some sort of structure, routine, and flow to it, right? And that's one of the things that I've always really liked is I don't things that have a logical flow and a logical progression are always things that I've kind of gravitated more towards than anything else, right? Because it makes sense and it's something that is there's a there's a process behind it that you can look at you can analyze you can figure out and you can see how you progress through it right and you can see the steps that you take to get from one to the end i like that more so i've never really felt like a bit of a burnout from it like obviously there's gonna be times when i don't like doing the training as much but i don't really ever get to the point where i'm like i don't want to fucking look at this anymore i don't even want to look like see a barbell anymore and when i do get to that point like i've been to that point once I immediately started to miss it. So it wasn't even like a real burnout thing. It was just like, a, eh, I just like, I want a second, like, I, like I want a second to do something different. And the minute I started doing like a full bodybuilding, like hypertrophy training cycle, my first thought was I can't wait to like squat again and see what I can do now. Right. So it's just one of those things where like, I have never really felt that because all of the things that I do and everything that I do with training, everything that I do in the gym can help 
what I've been doing. And again, it's a, it's that promise that I made to myself when I was 20. Like I'll never allow myself to be that weak again. And the easiest thing that I can do is SPD stuff to just like continuously be stronger and get measurably stronger over time too. And also display it, right? Because like, yeah, I mean, hack squatting 10 plates is cool. Jumping for like jumping 48 inches is like ridiculous. Like that's sick. Watching people like Story Poppy do like a, a box like a broad jump with a 10 pound medicine ball on his hand and jump like 14 feet is ridiculous but like you go to a globo gym and you watch somebody squat 600 pounds you know who the strongest person in that room is absolutely do you (laughs) do you do you find do you find uh i have two kind of ways how much does like your your rolling your jujitsu your martial arts that you do in like it with it how much do you feel like that has helped or uh, assisted in uh, your journey with with powerlifting? And then it has also, made me worse. It's made you worse, really. It has made me worse. Yes. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the things that I uh, I will always say about this that's made me worse is I have a significantly worse seps, uh, sense of depth and proprioception because I'm a very very mobile person, right? So because I'm so mobile from doing so much martial so like so like martial arts for so long, I can either hit ass to grass squat or be four inches above parallel and there is no in between. I have no idea where, I, where I'm gonna go because I have so much mobility that I can just go all the way down and I can sit there comfortably. And it doesn't bother me at all. Like I'm sitting ass on my, like basically ass on my heels and then I stand up from there. Like if you watch my, my squat videos from my last meet, like that's how, like I got so deep that the judges were like, yeah, I mean, like when I walked up onto the stage, they're like, yeah, the only way you're gonna fail is if you just don't stand up. Like you're never gonna get called on depth. I've not been called, I've not had a single red light for depth in the last like four meets that I've done since I've just adopted the fact that like, I'm just, this is just how it's gonna be. I'm gonna have to like basically dive bomb all my squats. So it's actually maybe a little bit worse with that. Whereas like, I'm very mobile and I'm very flexible. So I can do a lot of fun stuff that I do in, in, in martial arts. But if I had done it the opposite way, which is what everybody else does, where they go powerlifting into jiu-jitsu, I'd have probably been a much better powerlifter, and I'd probably squatted a lot more than I can now um, because I'd have a better – probably a better – a little bit better understanding of depth, and I'd actually have to, like, fight for depth as mm. opposed to never having to even have had it be a consideration or a thought. I've actually had to, like, try to figure out how to limit it as opposed to just sitting all the way down. Hmm. That, that's a good answer. Okay. Second part of this, how much has content creation either helped or hurt your powerlifting career? Because it, this is something that I found that like, uh, I enjoy the content creation piece of training. And it actually feels like for me, it motivates me to train to be able to like create pieces and a little bit of art off of like what my body's able to do. Has it helped or hurt you? Has it distracted you? Or ha- have you found a, a benefit of being able to create? It's like, oh, I, if I'm not feeling that good, well, I can create like, I, I know I have to pee trained to have a piece of content because i'm posting my uh, my training prep or whatever it is that is a really good question and it's hurt mine mm. yeah it's hurt mine and uh like that's one of the things that like it's it makes bad sessions worse for Ooh. for like a power lifter right so like if you have a bad lift or if you have a bad session it feels more impactful because it's not necessarily something i'm willing to post immediately Right. And there's always going to be good things that you can get from it and talk about like auto talk about how like progress is linear. But then again, that's the same post that everybody makes when they have a bad training day. Right. So it's just that same kind of thing where it makes it a little bit worse and a little bit harder because bad sessions suck. 
and they suck worse when you then have to go tell people that you had a bad session and then everybody does the same oh boo-hoo you had a bad lifting day everybody go complain about it go talk about it on the internet it's like well i have like i should be posting some kind of content i should be posting something that's going to be a little bit more like quote-unquote authentic and realistic that shows other people that like you know you can have a bad day and be totally fine it just makes it a little bit worse when you do have those bad days because again if i was to do something different right i just pivot and do something else in that day right like like perfect example if i went to go to the gym and i want to like i like i my day says to squat right like i have like a heavy squat a secondary bench and then like some hamstring volume it's like all right cool well my squat sucked so the whole session is basically done for me now like my bench is going to be really light and then my i'm doing like fucking leg curls and nobody wants to see me doing fucking leg curls like it's just boring at that point so like the big thing that i had planned for the day is just now gone then the little thing that i was like i could maybe use this is like so light it doesn't even matter and then the last thing is like i have some maybe some like oxidative work on a hamstring curl and it's like nobody even knows what that shit fucking means so i'm not even going to post that either so that's completely like wasted so it makes it a little bit more challenging because like I can't just pivot as easily and be like, I'm just going to go to sick arm pump and just go like talk about bicep curls and like talk about doing tricep pushdowns. Like it makes it a little bit more challenging for me to do so than what I was doing a bit more of like an agile uh, program where I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go in and do what I feel like doing today. Like if I walk in, it felt really good. I was like, I'm going to fucking squat, started doing like some squat, uh, some squats with the bars. Like this feels fucking great. I'm going to go do for a single today. Or like, yeah, this feels kind of shitty. I'm going to go for a set of eight. Or like, eh, this all feels kind of terrible. I'm going to go bench instead and like trying to figure out something else like that. So that made it a little bit easier for me to post because I was always having a good day. Hmm. Whereas now I have less good days. I have an eve, I've had, and I've also had like a really cup, like shitty couple like blocks of training in a row. It's like I've had even less good days than I had normally. So it's like everything just kind of is like, yeah, it sucks. So like I just post like more memes and more thread posts <laughs> now. And like, here's a video of my giant calves me doing calf raises <laughs> instead of like posting here's a squat. That's how you find out if somebody's down bad is they're they're talking about like humor coming from uh, when you're down bad. It's like more yes. memes is when it's a bad training. Block. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> when you see when you see powerlifters like posting more informational content and more memes, you know we're going through some shit and like training sucks right now. When you're only posting lifts and it's like only the highlight reel, we're on fucking fire. We're on cloud nine. We feel like the best. Mm -hmm. So what you, you mentioned doing the agile program and you're having a lot of really good days in a row because you're you're crafting them to be good days uh, yeah. versus now where it's, it's more a little bit more blocked. What's the what's the difference between those two? Like, well, why are you deciding to go agile some days and or agile and some points in your your training cycles and, and blocked and sometimes like so that's that's a good question. So what I was doing with that like at that point I broke the scaphoid bone in both wrists mm. in December, right? Uh, I was doing a I was in jiu-jitsu I was doing jujitsu right and at that point my uh, my coach, we were training in his garage in his house because like that was where he started, right? So we started, he just recently opened a facility, but we were still, we started off in his garage. So we had like a real fight club vibes with it. It was great, but we had these really thin mats that were terrible. Um, and I got, uh, I got into a dominant position and I got pushed off of somebody and I went to bridge and like, like I went to post. Right. And as I went to post, I kept going and my hands just went. Right. So I thought uh -huh. I'd just like tweak something in my wrist and it was fine. But like I ended up having to become a very agile programmer for myself because I just there were days that like I couldn't like squeeze like, grip anything. So it's like I want to go do back today. And then I'd go to like grab a dumbbell and be like this fucking hurts to like hold anything. 
and I can so I can, I can kind of push because I can just rest it on the heels of my palms and be okay. And then some days that would hurt. So it's like, all right, cool. Well, I'm just going to go do a bunch of machine leg work. So it ended up becoming out like being more out of necessity than anything else. But what I also noticed with that is that I didn't really get better at anything. Hmm. So I got, I had more fun and I had more good days and I completed on average, probably more training sessions, but nothing got tangibly better. Like I didn't really get stronger. I didn't really get like a, like more muscular. I didn't really get better at anything. Cause I wasn't following something with as much structure as I needed to, to be able to give myself the necessary training volume or the necessary training intensity or the necessary repetition of a certain stimulus to allow myself to really progress through it. Do you believe that's because you're at such a high level now? Ah, you pro- maybe. Uh, like I'd still can, I'd still classify myself as like an intermediate, low level, advanced um, lift, like power lifter. Um, I would probably classify myself that until I have an over five hundred dots, um, which is just one of the body weight coefficients that they use to kind of rank people against different weight classes. Um, so maybe I would like I would, I'd maybe look at it like that. Um, I would also look at that in the way of just like the fact that I wasn't able to repeat the same skill or the same pattern on a frequent enough basis to allow for any meaningful or like tangible progression, right? Where it's like, I was talking about sometimes I feel really good and I'd go for like a heavy single on squats. Then the following week, I might go for set of eight. The following week, I might go for like, I might do hack squat sets of 10. The following week, like the hack squat might be taken. So I might do the belt squat. Then I might do the pendulum squats. It was like, I was always getting a lot. I was getting a lot of novelty, but nothing was really like consistent enough for me to continuously push like mm. any actual effort into the same thing to, and like, I didn't really get the ability to, to try with the same thing over time enough to see any kind of tangible return on investment on anything. So I had a great time and it was a lot of fun and I got a lot of work completed, but I didn't really get much better at a lot of stuff. Mm. Gotcha. And that, that was something that I saw that you posted about is uh, a while back. It was, it was talking about, you were talking about the skill of powerlifting. Yeah. And, and I always, I always think that's super interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm always big into like skill acquisition and then learning skills for athletes and, and trying to optimize environments in which they're able to learn skills faster. I, f- I really believe that athletes that step on the field that are able to pick up skills that they're, they're required to learn on the field. Ones that do that the fastest are always the best athletes on the field. But you could say the same thing with powerlifting, obviously, like it, there's a skill to lifting a lot of weight, like there's the strength aspect, but obviously, like there's a massive skill component to it. How do you approach the the, the skill aspect to to powerlifting and kind of learning all of that? So the skill component of powerlifting is obviously significantly less meaningful than the skill acquisition aspect of a real sport, right? Or like a, like a, like a different sport, like uh, any kind of field sport or anything that requires a tremendous amount of hand-eye coordination. What we're talking about with when I'm, when I'm looking at skill acquisition and powerlifting is more about like muscle recruitment and like motor neuron recruitment, right? So things like that, like getting the skill and then getting the lift to be kind of autonomous and getting you through and like organ, like self-organized in a way that you can complete it in a tech, in a technically sound and safe manner. Right. So looking at this, this is one of the areas where we, I differ, like people differ or powerlifting differs from regular athletics, right? Like if we're looking at jujitsu, if we're looking at something like that, to get more skillful at the movement, obviously you're going to have to be able to tra- like practice the movement live, but to learn the movement, you're going to have to drill it. You're going to have to drill it slowly and you're going to have to drill it with low effort and you're going to have to drill it a lot. Whereas the powerlifting, if you're squatting the bar to get better at squatting 700 pounds, you are never going to get better at squatting 700 pounds. 
right? So the skill ends up having to be a very, very different thing. And the reason why I look at the skill being so different is because the skill in martial arts or the skill in a field sport or anything like that is a, is a much broader definite, a much broader thing, right? Like if I'm trying to do a, a pass or if like you're trying to like, like, like catch a ball, the environment is going to be different every single time. So you have to be a lot more reactive to how you're going to do it. So you want to be able to drill it under perfect conditions first, learn how to do it uh, like under the best possible conditions. And then you have to start practicing it live to make sure that you can actually do it and actually complete it in a, like a, like a meaningful way. Right. Would you agree with that? I would push back. Honestly, I would, okay. I would think it's, it's kind of because how coaches get into it is like, they, they view it that way. But honestly, I think it's much closer to the empty barbell versus 700 barbell, like the difference there, because you have guys that can catch a ball on air all the time. You see it yeah, all the time. And then sure. they have, they have somebody, they have somebody in their environment. Obviously it is way more reactive. That part I agree with, but yes. you, the way you said the barbell to the 700 pound squat really got me. I'm like, that is such a good way to put it because it's the same as like catching a ball on air with nobody pressing you or not knowing, or nobody hitting you or doing anything like that versus yeah. like, doing all of that so i i think it, it's i agree with you i think i think that part is uh that that got me thinking i like that point so the only reason i brought that up and the only reason i said that is because if you're teaching somebody a brand new skill like if you're teaching somebody a new agility drill or something like that like a new uh like pattern they have to at least probably like in my in, like in my perspective or my my view of this and my understanding they probably have to at least do it a couple times with no resistance before they can start to do it with some kind of adverse conditions right would that be correct? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the only reason that I brought that up as being something that's different. Whereas like with powerlifting, if I were to just do that and just like practice just squatting the bar only, it's never going to get me better at anything like that. Like skill happens there. And I yeah, I, I see where you're coming from now. And like the, the same kind of met, like metric where it has to be challenging, right? But the only difference with, with my skill is that my skill always happens under perfect conditions. Mm. Always, literally always. I'm I have five spotters. I have, I, I've gotten commands. I've, I've prepped for this. I've peaked for this. I don't have anything around me. It's quiet. Nobody's saying anything as I'm getting ready to squat. It's all pristine, perfect conditions, right? So it makes it a little bit different when I'm looking at doing something like that, as opposed to somebody who has to do something a bit more reactive and the, the skill acquisition ends up being more reactive, right? So more reactive, they're going to have to have a broader understanding of a broader application of that skill, right? Like I'm not going to always be able to repeat the same thing, the exact same way every single time. Whereas with powerlifting, I'm going to try to repeat the same thing, the exact same way every single time. And the only way that we can do that in powerlifting is by creating the same conditions and by just creating the conditions, creating the same optimal conditions as often as we possibly can. So if I'm looking at having somebody compete and somebody training and somebody prepping for a meet, they have to do heavy stuff. They're going to have to be spending a lot of time over 80% of their max because that's where technique is going to start to break down is 80 to 85%. So if we want them to get better at having better technique, spending more time above 80, 85% is probably a useful thing for them, right? And it's one of those things where if we look at that in the off season, that's going to be a, a component of their off season training as well. If I notice that during a meet, they're not able to complete the movement for technical reasons. We have to then change the technique of that lifter. And the only way that I can get them to actually meaningfully change their technique is to give them load. That's heavy enough with a constraint. That's good enough to make them have to do that. Right? Like perfect example. I had a guy, uh, he's an 80, 
83 kilo lifter. So he competed at 78 kilos. So he's around 170 ish pounds when he 171 pounds when he when he stepped on the platform. He failed a 700 pound deadlift, right? Monstrously strong guy. But he failed his 700 pound deadlift because we he'd never really gotten up to weights like that before, and he failed it because of a tech for a technical reason. He has the strength to do it. He ripped it off the floor super fast. Then he got out of position and he wasn't able to complete it because he fell out of position, right? So now, when the off season, all I've been having him do is heavy shit, which he's he thought was going to be really fun until he realized how not good he was at heavy stuff. And the biggest thing that he's asking me for now is like, I want to, he's like, can you give me like a block of eights? Like, I love eights. He's like, I feel like I can really dial in my technique on eights. And I'm like, well, yeah. Cause like an eight, like doing a set of eight at RPE eight is like 67% of your max. So of course you can dial in your technique with 67% of your max. You don't have to try. Now I have to give you, I have to give you something that you have to try about or try for, and you have to try to complete so you can actually receive some of the skill benefit that we're looking at by by changing your technique in this meaningful way right whereas like that so that becomes a little bit different uh with sport because i need him to replicate everything exactly every single time whereas i'm looking at doing something like like in martial arts it's never going to be an exact condition every single time i need my skill to be as good as possible but i also need to be able to be adaptable to any kind of positions that are going to happen or any kind of things that I'm going to see or any kind of opportunities that I'm going to see. Because if I see something like if I'm going for a pass to like pass somebody's guard in jiu-jitsu, I'm never going to be in the same situation twice ever, ever at all. And that same pass can work on every one of those scenarios. If I set it up in a way that's going to allow me to get close enough to do the skill. Right. So I have to be really good at executing my skill, but I also have to be adaptable and variable enough in what I can see to fix that and to make that thing happen. Whereas in powerlifting, all of the conditions are going to be the same and I just have to execute. I will. I really like the point where you're like, I, I feel like I can dial in my technique at like the eight rep max. I, I feel like that's super funny because it reminds me of like basketball players where they like, I know coaches that are pretty like, they get pretty into like game-like situations, like one v ones, two v twos, and the athletes are always like, "Well, I, I didn't like. I just want to go back to shooting on air because I feel like my technique's good there." And they're like, "Well, yeah, but it's not real. It's it's, yeah. it's like fake technique, you know? Yeah. It's it's like the the fake. You have eight rep max technique. You have on air technique, but it, yeah. it's not the technique that is going to be required in what you actually want to get good at." But I was like, "That that was super similar to what I hear a lot of people saying with on air and stuff." It's like you want that dopamine hit but right. it, it, it's it's worse it's almost worse for you because it, it's obviously you're wasting wasting time the wasting but like you're wasting energy on that but it's also like this this you can hide behind it it's like oh i did yeah. the work oh i did the work it's like no you didn't you didn't do what right. you sucked at which, which is what you sucked you sucked at the one rep max you sucked at the, the the live situations that you needed right. to spend your time at and you just wanted that free dopamine hit which if you're playing sports for a dopamine hit and it's fun and it's great that's amazing but if you're actually in the mindset because this like athletes are terrible of like i grind i'm i'm grinding i'm it's like no you're not you're doing what you're doing what gives you a dopamine hit you're doing yeah. what like would have people look at you but the grind would be doing that one rep max the grind would be doing the one v one versus something that's better than you or can take away what you're not good at and you leave the gym you're like motherfucker like i want to yeah. go back to my eight rep max you know right absolutely and that's the biggest thing is like, like any kind of constraints-based learning model is going to give somebody a much better return on investment right so if they're just practicing that same skill in fresh air all the time they're not really going to get better at 
that skill itself, right? And the only reason I brought up the slight difference in, in uh, the way that I view athletics or anything like that is because of my martial arts background, where it's like you would drill the skill, learn the skill, learn how to like orient your body in the way to do it. And then you go practice it live. Whereas like powerlifting, you're practicing it live right away, immediately, right? And like the only difference is like, I've never seen that fucking thing before in my entire life. So I don't even know how to do, I can't execute this live at all. So like doing something like that or like running a new route in football, like you're going to probably have to drill that first and put like some cones down to figure out a way to like get to the path. And then you're going to start practicing it live. Whereas like that whole section where you're doing it in the very beginning and you're practicing it really slowly, that matters not at all for these people out here. Literally doesn't matter. It's like, we can skip that entire thing and just like go get you squatting pretty heavy. Like obviously warm up and do your warm up, like your, like your build up sets beforehand, but like you gotta, you gotta do the thing. Because you know how to do the thing. It's really fucking easy. You sit down, you stand up. You lower a bar to your chest, you press it up. You stand up with a bar in your hands. It's really not that hard. But one of the things that you mentioned was was the perfect conditions at a meet. Yeah. And like it is. How perfect is it? Like I, I've never run to, I've never gone to a powerlifting meet. I've never competed myself. How perfect is it? Is it is it like every meet's the same? Or because I've heard some powerlifters mention it's like, you want to be adaptable because it's sometimes it feels different or the bar is different or like, right. Is that just them like bullshitting or like really soft? Is it, is it? It's really soft. Yeah. That's really soft. I honestly, it's going to be one of those things that a lot of people disagree with me for saying, but it's really, really, really soft. Like, okay. You are looking at all of the things. Yes. Like warm up rooms can be hell, right? You can have 50 lifters, 60 lifters and two racks that everybody has to share to warm up. That's when you just go take it and be like, hey, I'm just going to jump in next because this is the weight that I need to take. And they go, okay, cool. Just come on in. They're very friendly, very welcoming, very open atmosphere, right? Everybody's cool about it. Um, bars and equipment, they tell you about what you're going to use ahead of time. If you email the meat director and say, hey, what bars are we going to use? He's going to say, you're going to use these bars. They usually post the warm-up room stuff ahead of time too. So you know what's going on with all of it. And you've just trained for 12 weeks to be perfectly peaked on this one day. So all of the conditions possible are as good as they can get. And if you do a little bit of research on it, you'll know that you're probably going to be okay, right? Like I didn't like the bars that they used in my last meet. I still PR'd all my lifts. It doesn't really fucking matter. Like the only thing that really, that the only thing that can kind of suck um, is if there are unforeseen delays, right? Like a perfect example is... Um, the meet the my last meet on the second platform, uh, the small the smaller lifters platform, uh, somebody got hurt, hmm. so that delayed that platform by like thirty minutes, right? So that sucks. That's an unforeseen condition that does kind of throw people off because people who are getting all their warm ups in and everything like that, they had to take this person off like in a in a stretcher. Right? I don't remember what happened. Like it was like a like I think it was like a knee injury or something like that. But like they got injured, right? So that messed up everybody else's lifts throughout the rest of the day because of that one thing right so that timing got thrown off and that sucks but the majority of all the other conditions are really 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 good like you have plenty of warm-up space you bring your own food you're rested as as rested as humanly possible like the it's you're gonna be okay some of the warm-up rooms suck but they're complaining about like the minor the final like five percent of stuff that really matters on the day Whereas all the other stuff that they did when they were asleep, not sleeping, they were not really eating, they weren't really training and focusing very hard on their training, all of that stuff matters a lot more because all of the things that you did to get to that point are the things that actually make a difference. So your conditions are perfect, right? And then when you go up to the platform, you've practiced these things hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times through that prep getting into this point. You know what to do. 
you just got to go do it. Mm. You have five spotters with you, four, like three to five spotters with you at all times, depending on how much weight you're lifting. You're probably going to be okay. The conditions are as good as they can get. It's not like going in and like playing actual sport, right? Where it's like, well, we didn't expect the arena to be here or like we can't, like, like we're a Houston-based team, so we're below sea level and we're going and playing in Colorado, which is above sea level. Can't really go train for that. Conditions are going to suck. Like that's going to be way harder. Or like a like a Northeast athlete coming down to Houston in the summer where it's like, God, it's a fucking 120 degrees here. This is so terrible. And it's super humid. Like I can't recover as well, right? Like those are, when we look at conditions like that, those are conditions that are never really optimal compared to what all of these people have where it's in a nice venue. They've got a bunch of people around. They're hanging out with a bunch of their friends. They've got a lot of people there to keep them safe. It's pretty good conditions all around. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. That's a good answer. One of the other things I'm interested in is how often this is like, again, how often is there PRs at the meets, like in the overall general of powerlifting? Is it common to, so like in sports, team sports, it's definitely more so you're falling back and it's just whoever like has that, like you build up your, your reserves this high and almost every athlete is falling down. It's just whoever has the higher reserve, but you're going to mm-hmm. fall down because of all those situations that you you're playing somewhere hotter. You're playing, but they're, they're just usually just better. Is, is that the the same setup of like powerlifting where like you're falling down to a, a level and you just need to get your reserves higher. And most people's gyms PRs are higher than the meat PRs or is it the other way around? Okay. Most people's gym PRs are higher than their meat PRs because they're fucking idiots and they train and they max out in the gym all the time for social media clout. I did that at my last meet. I put like my last deadlift was supposed to be uh, at like, and my meat prep was supposed to be like an RPE seven, like a couple singles at RPE seven. I did one at nine. And I was just like, whoops, sorry, overshot a little bit today. I knew exactly what I was fucking doing. And then I didn't pull anything close to that in my meat, right? Like I pulled 815 in training and I pulled 770 at the meat. I knew what I was doing. I did that on purpose, right? I squat, I followed my squats perfectly. I followed my benches perfectly, did all that stuff. Deadlift I really like, it's fun, right? It's fun to go pull something. And like, there was people at the gym that I didn't like. So I wanted to be stronger than them, (laughs) right? So like, we know what we're doing. And if we're like literally posting it for clout, most people who do that stuff, they overshoot in their training. They're unreasonable in their expectations of their training. And they fail to execute it on the platform simply because they've already done what they were supposed to do, right? Like they've already reached their max. They've grinded through a hard lift in training and they haven't listened to their coach or done what they were supposed to do and followed the program in a well, in a good enough manner to like actually be rested and recovered to peak well for the meet and do really well at the actual event itself. So they overshoot their training and shoot themselves in the foot for the platform. Hmm. So like you look at a lot of people and like a lot of us are guilty of it, right? Our, our meat, our meat PRs are low, are lower than our training PRs and social media has made platform PRs matter less mm, than yeah. meet PRs than, than, than like social media PRs. Right. So like I can PR any day of the week and people will like applaud me just as much, mm. if not more than if I were to do it at a meet because, and actually it's probably going to end up being more because the answer is always, well, man, if he can do this now in a regular gym, what's he going to do on the platform? Right. Like, Oh my God. Like I want, so like perfect example, there was a kid, there's a TikTok kid who pulled like 950, maybe close to a thousand pounds, like in, in like on a, on a, on a deadlift bar in the gym, he bombed out on his deadlifts. He pulled 700 and then failed the remainder of his lifts. He there's a 300 pound difference between his actual best lift and what he can do in the gym. 
Nobody gives a shit about what he did on the platform. They still look at him pulling a thousand pounds in the gym. Because, like, look at this fucking kid. He's so strong. And it's like, yeah, he is really strong, but he's also an idiot and doesn't know how to fucking peak properly. So, like, this is one of the biggest things that happens in powerlifting is, like, a lot of powerlifters, we all overshoot in the gym because, like you were talking about with that little dopamine hit, we get a huge dopamine hit from people going, like, oh, my God, you're so strong. Like, you PR, that was a huge lift. Can't wait to see what you do on the platform. And then on the platform, we are always have a bad day and then go, not my best day, not my best performance. Conditions weren't that good. Here's all the things that happened. It was, totally wasn't me pulling 100% of my max, my like, my actual new max three weeks ago. It was totally how everything else went has nothing to do with my mess up well and, and what you said too is social media social media allows you to basically get that competition with everybody at every all day. at all times every all day times. Yeah. and and it's like you you also get rewarded for it more on so like powerlifting is not a sport where you're paid billions of dollars to go mm-hmm. play you know so like if you're mm-hmm. pulling that on social media you're probably getting more money doing it on social media regardless anyways 100%. than on the platform 100 and if you're doing it on the platform you're losing money because <laughs> Because you had to spend a bunch of money to register for the meet. You probably had to travel to the meet. You got to stay there for a hotel. You're spending all this money on food. It's like, cool. You just wasted 500 bucks like doing this on a platform. Whereas you could have just done it on Instagram and gotten it for free and done it for free and like done it under your home, like at your home gym conditions. I still think like, again, platform experience is the most important thing for a power lifter to have. It's just getting very watered down with what people can do on social media and how they can just post something and be like, oh, I squatted 900 pounds. It's like, cool, you squatted 750 at your meat, though. Mm. Like, yeah, but I squatted 900 here. It's like, yeah, but it was three inches high. You had a camera angle that showed that it was that it looked like it was from depth because you got like an above view. You're seven feet away. Your spotters were touching <laughs> the bar and you failed it at the meet so like who gives a shit but they go yeah but i did it here and that's all that counts and i'm going to pin that post to my profile so that one's pinned so that's what everybody sees i'm going to just archive my meat post in about three weeks yep yep that, that'll, that, that'll do it well yeah uh, th- th- this was awesome this was this was the off the cup top we we covered pretty much everything i wanted to cover so that, that was pretty sweet thanks for being on thanks a lot for inviting me man I had a great time thank you guys for listening Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.